My name is Bond, James Bond, 007, Martini, shaken, not stabbed. I'm on a mission for Her Majesty the Queen. Okay, no, I'm Dr. Nathan. I'm no secret agent. Martinis taste absolutely horrible. I much prefer a man's drink, bourbon. And we aren't on a mission for the Queen. Rather, you're at Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast. As always, you can contact us at our Facebook page, Vet Talk, the Veterinary Podcast, or you can reach out to us at theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com. Also, unlike Bond movies, these podcasts are free. But if you would like to make a donation to all the cool spy gadgets veterinarians require, you can at lickingvalleyvet.com backslash vettalk. So I'm bringing up James Bond today because besides the similarity of our dashing good looks and inability to keep women around, Mr. Bond and I have one thing in common. We both have a license to kill. And that's what our discussion will be about today, euthanasia. Euthanasia is a Greek word that means good death. Death is not something we want to discuss or have to experience, but we will all experience it at some point. Veterinarians have more probability of experiencing this because pets don't live as long as humans do. Many people have multiple generations of pets in their lifetime, and those pets pass away. So today we are going to discuss how their lives can end and how we go about dealing with this. We all deal with death in a different way. And yes, there is a wrong way. That wrong way is where dealing with it causes undue pain to yourself or others around you. My job is to help people get through the death of their pet and deal with it. Like I said, everyone deals with death. People die. Friends and family. Celebrities. But pets have become a very emotional part of life. I have seen tears from farmers losing a cow and tears from someone losing the pet they have tried to rescue off the street. Their grief was equal because they both cared. Our relationship with animals has not changed as much as we may think. We have had a relationship with animals for thousands of years. It's the time and investment we put in them. I have talked with a lot of old farmers and heard their stories, and from today's perspective, we sometimes want to assume that 50 years ago or 500 years ago, animals were not as valued as much. But I know that farmers value their animals, and I know that individual people value their pets. I'm not sure how true that statement that people didn't value their animals in the past really would be. Sure, today we are less connected with the death of animals. I mean, most people are. Years ago, people saw cows become their food. Now we just see that food in the supermarket. We forget that milk comes from an udder of a cow who was fondled daily and we forget that our steak comes from the cow eating grass in the field that we eventually slaughter. I think when you raise an animal and put it on the table you appreciate the sacrifice of that life that fed you. You're connected. If your animal died in the past prematurely you may have went hungry. If that dog that the people in the past had died your chickens may have been eaten by a fox. People lived and worked with their animals, and it was a significant loss to lose an animal before it predicted time. Sure, in the yesteryear, people couldn't get as attached to animals since they needed them for survival and not as much as companions, but that doesn't mean they didn't care. What's happened here in the first world countries is we are removed. 
we don't see those animals slaughtered to feed us. So we don't see and appreciate death as much. And yes, I mean appreciate. When I eat meat, I know something died for it. And I appreciate the farmers, the vets, the slaughterhouse employees, the USDA agents, and everyone who gets that meat safely to my table so I can eat it. Death still happens so we can survive. We just don't see it. We're not as numb. The farmers I deal with are still tore up over death, but they see more. I see more. So back to our first world problems. We're rich. We can get our meat from the store and we don't see the animals die. So where do we deal with death? Well, we still have our pets, our dogs and cats. They aren't guarding our chickens as much, and I'm not sure how much mice catching most cats do these days. But in general, they have become more a member of a family than something with a particular task to complete. And we have the money and technology to take better care of these animals. So when we see our pets die, people have less experience dealing with death. And even in old times, the animals were part of the family. Everyone knew the dog would die. If it got bit by a wild wolf as it defended young Billy and it got rabies, it died. It did its job. It was the dog or it was young Billy. There were no vaccines, so there was nothing anyone could do to save the dog. The circle of life demanded us to know and deal with death. In a first world country, we're starting to separate from it. In the past, you may not have been able to become accustomed to death, but the human race experienced it enough to handle it a certain way, perhaps more stoically. Now, in general, as I said, we're not exposed to death. We only really see it in the pet scenario. Our pets will die. Our pets, who we decide to take into our house and care for and provide for, often like our children, sometimes in place of our children, these are our pets who are with us and adore us whether we have a bad day at work or a good day. They forgive us of our sins even before we give, forgive ourselves. These are the pets that we have to see die, and these are the sometimes the first time that we really have to see death or maybe the first time we have to decide to have the death. Let me go on. I was thinking about my life the other day. My horse I don't see daily. My cat, Galadriel, I see her daily. She sleeps with me every night. She's always around the house, which is also my office. If I'm not seeing appointments, she's with me. I certainly spend time with my family and make it over to dinner whenever I can for mom's cooking, but by sheer hours of existence, I spend the most time with my cat. So I care for her. I don't like the idea of thinking about a day she won't be there to keep me company. Whatever other psychological reasons are at play, when you spend that much time with an animal, a bond grows between the two of you, and it's hard to let go. I've seen it with cattle farmers, too. They raise a calf from birth, sometimes help it to be born, then when it gets sick as an adult, they take very seriously caring for it. And I've seen them do extraordinary things that do not make any financial sense. This cow was born with the idea of it being killed, but the farmers hate to lose it to a tragedy. They did not want that animal to suffer. The animal had a purpose they want fulfilled, and sometimes the death still leads to that animal becoming meat. But they don't like that there was a premature death. 
They did not want the animal to suffer in the meantime. I think farmers may see this as a failure at their part and the loss of something they care about, even if it was unavoidable. They are hurting, and not just because of the productivity loss, but of the loss of something they have cared for. Those tears are just as real as the people who have a dog or a cat or a horse. Those dogs and cats and horses are meant as friends, where the cows might be meant for production, but in a sense they all become companions and all have bonds with their owners. I have a bond with my horse. We've been through cannon fire and lost in the woods. He has taken me on many vacations. I have a bond with my cat, as I described before. I look at them as my family. I've seen people come into my clinic. Their animals are their last link to their deceased husbands. Their animals are the only thing they have left from a broken marriage. Their animals are the only friend they have as they have no remaining family. Or maybe it is a child's first puppy, and this is a child's first experience with death. We care for our animals. Parting with them is hard for everyone, and it makes us think about other people's deaths. Maybe our own. Maybe a family member's. The inevitable will come for all of us, and our pets force us to deal with it. But they also help us to learn to deal with it more later, when it's something like a family member. So how do we deal with this? Well, that's going to be different for everyone. It's going to suck. And when you lose an animal, a pet, a friend, you won't feel good. There's no sugarcoating that. As a veterinarian, it's my job to make the transition and the procedure go as well as possible. So everyone can deal with their suffering as they see fit. So why do we get to this point? I've seen it in tragic circumstances. A dog is hit by a car and cannot be saved. The horse has a broken leg. A tumor is causing severe hemorrhage. There is no question and sometimes no time. A euthanasia needs to be performed. My words are, I have to end suffering now, as the animal is in extreme pain and will die soon. I must act quickly to end that pain because I can't save the animal's life, and we cannot let it suffer. Mostly, instead of the tragic, I see situations where the owner had to make the decision. Vets and medicine are getting pretty good these days so we are able to keep animals alive longer. This can wear on the body, and although age is not a disease, it is certainly a contributing factor to life. We are seeing geriatric animals, and having to make a decision to euthanize based off of quality of life is a more and more common occurrence. We don't want an animal to suffer, so we can stop its suffering. Hard call. We can't do that with humans. I had to watch my grandmother linger in hospice. Humans grow old and we can't go around killing humans just because they don't function as they did in the prime of their life. Sometimes that leads to uncontrollable pain and misery. The closest we have to deciding on death in humans is similar to what my family did for my grandfather. We stopped the ventilator and his body passed. I think it's a blessing that we can make this decision in animals. Like I said earlier, perhaps this is the first time that we get to witness death, but very likely it's the first time we get to decide upon death. We can decide when that animal lives and dies. That's a great responsibility, 
In the past, maybe it was easier. That animal had to die at a certain time so we could get our food to survive. That animal died defending us from a rabbit wolf. There was a responsibility there. Now, the circle of life is a little bit more in our control. We get to decide when animals die. And that's more what we're going to talk about today, is that gift that we can give to animals. That gift where we get to decide. It's not in a production scheme where an animal will die at this point so we can get the most meat. It's in a scheme where it's our friend, it's our companion, and how do we deal with it when it's suffering. I'm not here to talk about how we're changing all of history and looking at history differently. Animals and people live and die for a lot of reasons. But right now, we get to decide when our animals live and die. We have the medicine to keep them going long enough for us to make that decision. It's not just they die. It's not just they die and there was nothing we could do. Sometimes we have decisions to make. And that's a gift, a great gift. Animals, I think, work differently than us. I think they are what they do. They play ball. They perform a task. Sometimes that just may be eating grass. But when they can't do that, I think they tend to become less of what they are. And that's how I look at it and help to guide my clients to make that decision. To make their decision. To make your decision. The vet never makes that call. Sure, in the tragic scenarios I mentioned, I tell the owner what to do. But there is always a moment's hesitation. I need that nod from the owner. I need the owner's permission. I never really tell an owner to euthanize. I give them all the information I can and let them make the decision. Oftentimes, there is a very clear decision. But many times, the decision is solely in the owner's hand. There's pros and cons of ending it at a certain time. And usually, people end animals' lives because that level of suffering that the animal is experiencing is more than the owner thinks is acceptable. Now I'm not going to go into how far we should take treatment here. Again, that's between you and your veterinarian because sometimes cost comes into it. Sometimes we can't afford a $10,000 treatment that would prolong an animal's life another 10 months. Sometimes we can't afford the treatment at all and we have to use the knives because well, that animal can't suffer through that disease and we don't have the money to deal with it. It's just the hard realities of life. But what I'm talking about here today is the process we're going through and making that decision. It's more in our hands. Now we have that ability that we can treat certain things. And again, if you go back a hundred years, you couldn't treat a lot of things that you can now. So we have to remember where we are in time and you know what's okay to put these animals through. And I've found this is very hard. Owners love their pets. And in this society where we are never told no, it's hard to hear that there is medically nothing left we can do for a pet. Or financially, we can't afford to treat this pet. This animal is suffering, and you have to watch it suffer or euthanize it. In the past, we made the same decisions, but maybe we made them with less knowledge. 
We knew the pet was suffering, so maybe we ended its life. Now it's a much more educated decision, and that doesn't make it easier. Sometimes the more complexities we have and the more knowledge we have, even if it's a simple decision, the harder it is to make. And I need the owner to make this decision. I can't tell them. I can perform the act, and I will perform the act, but I won't live with the burden of making that decision. I won't take that away from people. I found with clients, when I speak with them later about a euthanasia, they are more at peace, in the future, mind you, not at the moment, with the decision, if it's their decision, than if they're just told to do something. It really sucks then. But I tell them the prognosis, and I tell them that this animal has given you nothing but love for all the years of its life. Here's your opportunity to give a gift. You can make the decision to end its suffering. You can give it peace. And then you will know that your final act was a gift. And that final act is hard. Because, like I said, we don't deal with death as much. Even farmers to a point. But especially people who have just a few house pets. And this is where we are forced to deal with it and make a decision that we oftentimes don't have to ever make any other time in our life. Don't look to the veterinarian to make that decision. We can't give that gift for you but we will perform the procedure. So, now that the decision has been made, how is the procedure performed? I'm going to tell you what I do, but there are lots of acceptable methods. First, and this might sound odd, a gunshot is acceptable. This is what people did in the old days. Horse came up lame, broken leg maybe, they shot it. You've seen it in the old western movies. That's what happened, and that was a good way of dealing with it. This is today done more often in food animal production, um, so not too many people see it, but it's quick and painless and sometimes better than drugs. I've seen it done. The cow doesn't know what a gun is, so there is no fear. The farmer walks up, looks at the cow with a broken leg, who would otherwise die a slow, painful death, aims his gun, pulls the trigger, and that fast the cow falls to the ground dead. It's quick. That's also what a stun bolt does in uh, slaughterhouses, if you've ever heard about any of those. Think about yourself. Would you rather be shot in the stomach and die of a painful belly infection over a few days? Or would you like for a car to hit you and you don't ever know what happened? My point here is everyone has different standards. I've seen people very upset at how they see other people treating their animals. Don't judge other people. This is a very personal and emotional thing. We don't want anything to die, but realize there are more methods of humane euthanasia than you may be comfortable with. And like I said, a gunshot sometimes works very well. That's what we did many years ago. And, well, honestly, it's not always the worst way to go, like I was kind of describing. In other episodes, I've talked about how we use our chemicals and our science and our knowledge to make things better than they once were. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. That's why I want us to f always remember the old way of doing things and know that we can improve on it. Here's one of those times where the gunshot, which is the old way, was the best way of doing it. There was this horse. Honestly, we plainly should have shot it in the head. That sounds rough. That horse was someone's pet. 
That horse was a friend. Well, we decided to euthanize. It had a broken leg. There was no fixing it. So we gave the euthanasia drugs. Well, the horse had just broke its leg. It was in shock and had so many hormones floating around its system that it reacted badly. It was a thousand pound animal. Started flopping around like a fish out of water. It was scary. It flopped through a fence and broke the fence. Then it flopped again through the fence and broke it again. Four large men jumped on it and could barely keep it down while we gave more drugs and more drugs to end its life. That went wrong. We did what we thought was best to humanely end this horse's suffering, and that horse had a horrible death. In hindsight, the four owners that were there were four former Marines. If we would have taken one gun and one shot to the head, the horse would have fallen to the ground in an instant and there would have been no pain. Listen to your vet. They have done this a lot. They may recommend something that is discomforting to you, but remember, you are doing this for your pet. You are doing this so they have the best death possible. Not so you are the most comforted by the way they die. Remember, this is your gift to them. That being said, mostly I'm going to use chemical drugs. I would say more than nine times out of ten. That is going to be the most humane method possible. Because most of the time, things don't go the way that horse did. It's easy on the pets and easy on the humans. Trust me. Even the biggest, baddest person out there has called me to chemically euthanize their beloved dog. So yeah, we do more of that now than we do going out and shooting an animal like maybe we did in the 1900s. Because we can make it better. But not every situation in death fits into one square box of methods. Just remember that. It's, this is a very unique thing. So how does it normally go for pet euthanasias that are not odd circumstances? Generally, it's two shots or two injections. I give the first shot in the muscle. It's the same drugs I use for surgery. That's what a lot of people ask me. Will their pet feel anything? They feel a sting of the first shot. I give them this combination drug, the same drug I would use to perform a spay or a neuter. They feel that sting, and in 15-20 minutes, I could perform surgery on them. I could cut into them with a scalpel and pull their ovaries out and they would not feel a thing. That doesn't stop nerves from twitching. I've had clients freak out because a muscle twitches during the procedure. The animal didn't feel anything, but a needle poke stimulated an automatic response in the body. It's nothing to be concerned about. Other things just happen. Vomiting, that's typical for the drugs, though I don't see it in every case. Uh, Pre-surgery, we would ask no food or water for the dogs from the night before, so they don't vomit. My first euthanasia in practice, I gave the drugs. I came back to a wretched, wretched sound, the sound of vomit. The owner had given their German Shepherd a last meal of an entire pizza. I gave those drugs, and the typical response happened. I saw the entire pizza again disgusting but a natural response. I don't tell people not to feed a last meal. I just warn them that these drugs can make their animals vomit. So don't be alarmed. 
At this point, while the pet is falling asleep after the first shot, I encourage people to be with their pets so the last thing their pet sees as they fall asleep is you. Some vets will put in an IV catheter at this point. This is so the second shot, which needs to go in the blood, is much easier to give. There's nothing wrong with this, but I don't do it. The main reason we put a catheter in is so we don't have to stick the animal multiple times to get the second shot in. I figure if I can get a catheter in an animal, I can get a needle in the vein the same way. So I don't worry about this step. But some vets do. It's fine either way. After 15 to 20 minutes, I come back and give the option for people to stay with the pet while I give the second drug, which will stop the heart or the owners can step outside. The pet is asleep at this point, so I feel it's safe for an owner to leave, but it doesn't bother me if they stay either. That's a personal decision. Some people don't like seeing the injection that kills the pet. Others do. Others want to stay until that very last moment. So then, whether the owner's in the room or not, I give a shot in the blood. This is the shot that stops the heart. When the heart stops, and blood stops pumping, the body shuts down. Oxygen is required, and when the body doesn't get oxygen, it dies. Getting this injection in the blood can be a challenge, and a challenge you may witness. So realize what's going on. One clinic I do relief work at, the assistants will hold a towel over the injection I'm given. It kind of annoys me because I sometimes inadvertently block my view of what I'm doing at a critical moment. But what they are trying to do is keep the owner from seeing the killing shot. I am someone who wants to know what's going on. I feel the owner needs to see this. I don't stop those assistants at that clinic, but I think it's valuable that there is some connection to the death. We can't be totally removed from it. Anyway, I will find a vein and give the injection. Sounds simple but it isn't always. Some of these animals are old, with veins that are nearly non-existent. Potentially, these animals have problems that make their blood pressure non-existent, and veins might be cancer-riddled and fall apart when they are touched. There are times that even with my eight years of experience as a vet, six years of experience before that as a veterinary technician, and two years of experience before that as a veterinary assistant. All those combined years of finding veins, drawing blood, and I still cannot find a vein. I've seen people get worked up. They see me have to poke two or three places to find an appropriate vessel. And in my view, if I had an IV catheter, I'd still have to poke those two or three times to get that catheter placed which is why I go straight to just a needle poke. This doesn't bother me much that I'm poking a few times because I can clearly remember and in the same state of the animal have performed invasive surgery on them. So I know a needle stick isn't going to bother it because honestly it will be dead before it wakes up and feels any bruising from this. However, I understand it's hard for people to realize this isn't hurting their beloved pet. They can't feel it now, and there will be nothing they can feel later. But it is a part of it, so don't get mad at your vet. They want the procedure to go as efficiently as possible, for you and the pet. Trust me, they, as I am, are using all our skills to get the job done. If there are problems, it means it's a hard thing to do, and it just doesn't always go according to the textbook way the procedure is supposed to. I typically start at the front leg vein. 
If I can't hit that one, I may use a jugular vein or a rear leg vein. The jugular seems to bother people because I have to hold the neck to find it, and that's not as common in human medicine, so a lot of people just don't see that used. Um, but it's larger and works the same as other vessels. Last case scenario is I give the injection straight in the heart. This is generally easier, and I only use it as a last case because it freaks owners out. Again, it's easier to give, and the pet is not aware of this injection or feels any pain from it, but it looks different and weird to the owner, so I generally save this for when I cannot find other veins. I give this injection, and generally in three to five minutes, the animal has passed. Sometimes I see a little seizure before the pet passes. Sometimes there's some heavy breathing, and other odd things have happened. This is death. Things don't always go as planned. Sometimes I have to give more drugs because the animal doesn't respond. There's a lot of reasons I know it doesn't respond, but, you know, uh, things just happen oddly sometimes. The animal still doesn't feel anything, but, you know, more drugs are required. After that, I check the corneal reflexes and its heartbeat. When both these are gone, I declare the animal passed. I will warn the owner that for 20 or 30 minutes afterwards, they may see a few breaths. This is just stored energy in the body being released. The animal's not coming back to life. With a horse, I generally give a sedative as my first shot. It doesn't knock the horse all the way out. It makes them groggy. Then in about five minutes, I come back and give the second shot, which euthanizes. The horse generally falls over with the second shot, and by the time it hits the ground, it's dead. It's a little more tense with horses. The euthanasia drug, I have to get 100 cc's in a horse versus 5 or 10 with a dog. I have to move quicker. And guess what? 1,000 pounds coming to the ground will make a thud. That can disturb owners. Again, I don't think they are feeling much, the horses that is. If I get my 100 cc's in the horse, though I can't really prove it, typically by the time they are on the ground, they are gone enough that they don't realize what is happening. And again, in three to five minutes, they're typically gone. I check the heart and cornea as I do small animals. I wish I could be 100% that they don't realize what's going on in that last two to three minutes. I can't say for certain what they feel in that time. However, the alternative, which I do from time to time, is lay them down like I would for surgery. I give them the same drugs I would use to perform a castration, i.e. I make the horse groggy, then give them the same drugs that... I do dogs and cats to make them ready for surgery, and I lay them down. A lot of owners do this because they want the animal asleep for the euthanasia. It does cost more, so I leave this to the owner's discretion. Horses are bigger. They take more drugs. It, may, it at least makes the owners feel better. Personally, I don't know if it's any better for the horse. The horse still falls and makes a thud with the surgery drugs, and the horse isn't all that way asleep when it hits the ground. So I don't know. Maybe it's a little easier with the surgery drugs. Maybe it's the same. I'll do it either way. But we are doing the best we know how. And it's still two or three minutes of what I would imagine would be confusion instead of days or weeks of lingering pain. There is a limit to what science knows as well. So this license to kill isn't like the movies. It's a responsibility, one the vet has taken on that when you make your decision to end suffering of your animal, they will help make it as peaceful as possible.
It doesn't always go well. And it definitely doesn't always go as the owner believes it should. But we can take comfort in the fact that a caring professional is trying to help a beloved creature the best they know how. I'm Dr. Nathan. This episode was much less full of facts and discussion than others. I just want to tell you what a lot of my clients have been through and the things that they're thinking about and they go through. I think this conversation needed to be this way. It needed to be different. To me, death is not the end, but it is special and deserves a different discussion. Come back and listen to us for our next episode of Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast.